Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Farm Talk with Dairy Gold. Post Calver Gold, your trusted feeding partner for your dairy herd this spring. On C103. Hello and welcome. I'm Barry O'Mahony. The Dáil passed the Climate Action Bill following a four-hour debate during the week. Farming representatives give their reaction. We conclude the presentations made to the Joint Committee on Agriculture, Food and the Marine on the CAP negotiations. NDC has launched an advertising campaign to support the food service sector across Ireland, having suffered considerably during the COVID-19 crisis. And John O'Connor has the stories making the agri-news this week. Farm Talk on C103. Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association, ICSA National President Mr Donald Keller, has said the climate bill will be completely futile if there is not active engagement with the Irish farming community. He said we cannot expect our farmers to save the planet and bankrupt themselves. We need more funding, in addition to CAP funding, to help improve biodiversity, decrease emissions and improve carbon sinks. Mr Kelleher said farmers will plant more hedges and keep more habitats, but it cannot happen if the farm is not viable. Mr Kelleher strongly argued we must be sensible in how we deal with agriculture in Ireland. He said... ICSA believes the relentless shaming and blaming of Irish farming for everything that's wrong in the world must be challenged at every opportunity. He said it's high time for Irish farming to be treated fairly in the climate debate. He also argued that more consideration needs to be given to Ireland's national interests. He said Germany would not sacrifice its car industry or close down its coal industry and we should likewise stand up for our most important indigenous sector. It's all very well having five-year targets as proposed in the Climate Bill. There's no point in pretending to care about climate change if we implement a policy of carbon leakage. It makes no sense to outsource our livestock farming systems to Brazil or Australia. However, Mr Kelleher strongly emphasised that farmers are willing to pay their fair share. Farmers have, he said, and continue to improve and adapt their systems of farming. And this is something that needs to be recognised and encouraged. 
But we must also need all government policies to align with this overall goal. For too long, he contended, there'd been talk but no decisions and no support for farm-based renewable energies in terms of biogas, solar and biofuels. He said his organisation, the ICSA, wants to see government decisions to enable us hit 20% renewable gas by 2030 and we want it to be economically viable for cattle sheds to have solar panels supplying the grid. And fuel should cost €10 instead of €5. The West Cork-based National President of the Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association, Dermot Kelleher, is asking that we all carefully consider and protect what is our vital national interest. We must not allow what he called a cynical and massively funded anti-livestock narrative to drown out all reasonable debate. Part of an extensive policy statement there by the ICSA National President, Mr Dermot Kelleher, in respect of climate change policy. John O'Connor for Farm Talk. The Dáil passed the Climate Action Bill after a four-hour debate. In the NTDs voted the landmark legislation through by a large majority, 129 to 10. All parties supported the bill, with the opposition coming from a number of independents. Former Minister for the Environment and Independent TD Dennis Nocton explains his reservations about the bill. Clearly there is a need to bring in legislation to fast-track measures that will bring about the type of climate change that we need. But it's also important that we have a fair balance there, that it is not a burden being placed on particularly people in rural areas that they cannot meet, and particularly within the agricultural sector. I've made it clear to the Minister and outlined to him the concerns that I have. I think it is important that the Dáil has scrutiny of the measures as they're introduced. And if he isn't prepared to take these on board in the next couple of days, uh, I'll be publishing amending legislation in the autumn and seeking the support of TDs across uh, Dáil Éireann to see those changes implemented and enshrined in law. The Climate Action Bill now goes to the Shannad and, if passed, would set into law ambitious targets to reach carbon neutrality by 2050. Irish Farmers Association says it's disappointed the Climate Action Bill was passed without any amendments, having received assurance from government TDs that concerns raised would be addressed implicitly in the legislation. ICMSA says the absence of recognition for farming in the bill is grossly irresponsible and reckless, adding that Ireland's most successful indigenous economic activity, farming and food production, is being casually endangered. The Joint Committee on Agriculture, Food and the Marine met recently to discuss the CAP negotiations. The committee heard from representatives of the farming organisations anxious to ensure farmers, agribusiness and the food industry are on solid ground in terms of CAP policy and post-Brexit issues mustn't be allowed to hinder the overall agriculture and food industry in Ireland. Figures show farm income is around 40% lower compared to non-agricultural income and CAP acts by providing supports market reassurance measures and rural development incentives through national and regional measures. So the representatives of the farming bodies were before the committee laying out what really needs to be discussed at the CAP negotiations table. Today on Farm Talk we hear from Mokrin of and first Colm O'Donnell of the Irish Natura and Hill Farmers Association. The common agricultural policy has served farmers well since it was set up many years ago. But this reform has got to be the reform that becomes the reform that brings fairness to how farmers are supported going forward. 
one of the three objectives of the three main objectives and they are uh, fostering a smart resilient and diversified agricultural sector uh, environmental care and climate action but perhaps the most and the, the one that we need to really focus in on here is the basic objective of strengthening the socio-economic fabric of rural areas and cap through its payments is the vehicle to do this not for a small cohort or for commercial farmers but every farmer the minister for agriculture has a duty of care here to the 125 odd thousand farmers who are recipients and beneficiaries of payments payments were established based on what was going on in 2000 2001 and 2002 reference period 20 odd years ago now and in the recommendations from the european commission to ireland as a member state they have indicated that it's time to continue with the convergence model and move towards a full flattening of payments per hectare. That is the position of the Irish Nature and Hill Farmers Association regarding convergence, 100%. Don't forget that Ireland has enjoyed, because of external convergence, no overall cut to the overall budget. And that is because 60% of the farmers in this country are on payments less than the national average. And in fact, half of them are on payments of less than 200 euros a hectare. And this myth about the productive farms being the most uh, commercially based farms or the f farms with the highest historical payments, that's a myth. Department of Agricultural figures show that the most productive farms are actually the farms between 200 and 300 euros per hectare, which is in around the Irish average. So we would say there's a duty of care for you as legislators to ensure that we get fairness in this cap reform. Uh, on the eco-scheme, uh, it has been mentioned by some of the other contributors already, there was a rank injustice with internal convergence and how greening was administered to farmers. At the start of the last reform, greening for one farmer meant 30 euros a hectare, and for another farmer, it meant 300 euros a hectare for carrying out the same measure and that was the measure of retention of permanent grassland. Now, currently, in 2019, one farmer can be on 48 euros a hectare, and another farmer, next door possibly, on 210 euros a hectare, for carrying out the same measure, which is the retention of permanent grassland. Why would you pay one farmer 162 euros more than the other for carrying out the same measure? This is why the eco-scheme has got to be fair. It has got to be a level playing field we must have suitable actions for all types of farms and all types of enterprises and a legitimate expectation that all those farmers will get the same level of payment, uniform payment per hectare for carrying out similar environmental and climate objectives. And on the front loading of payments, this is something that was part of the reason why the current cap trialogue negotiations broke down. The Irish Natura and Hill Farmers Association are strongly advocating for this to be included because the farmers who some would say are going to lose because of having a high payment per hectare put on small hectares. This is the vehicle in order to ensure that they get a front-loaded payment. It's a complementary redistribution income support for sustainability. If we have a capping as some of the other farm leaders have spoke about, of 60,000 euros to any one recipient with no account for labour units, then it would bring 22 million available to target at this crisp payment. 
So this is the complementary redistribution payment that I'm speaking about. So this will incubate and cushion uh, for any farmer who may be exposed to internal convergence. And finally, I would say on the viability of commercial farms or those representing commercial farming, I would say that what about the other 66% who are not viable farms? And don't forget that viable farms are farms that can support a labor unit. So that enterprise is doing well and has traditionally done well when they can pay a labor unit. On the other hand, the other 66% of the farms of this country throughout the length and breadth of the rural areas of this country are either vulnerable, and those farms are farms that don't have enough farm income and cannot support a labor unit. And then we have sustainable farms who have to have enough farm income to help with their farm income, to remain viable family farms. Colm O'Donnell of the Irish Natura and Hill Farmers Association and his presentation to the Joint Committee on Agriculture, Food and the Marine recently discussing the CAP negotiations. Shortly, we'll hear from Mokrina Ferma. Farm Talk on C103. Following an amendment to the Native Woodland Conservation Scheme, NWS, recently by the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine, forest owners wishing to harvest mature conifer plantations and replant with deciduous native broadleaf trees could be eligible to receive a grant to aid them convert the conifer forest into native broadleaf woodland. Further information on potential grants available for forest owner applicants considering harvesting mature conifer plantations and replacing them with broadleaf trees under the Native Woodland Conservation Scheme available from the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine. Chagas may also assist farmers and forest owners on the options open to them if they are considering harvesting a conifer plantation. The IFA can advise on the value of standing conifer plantations if farmers are approached by companies offering to buy their crop. Anyone considering felling mature trees is legally bound to replant a replacement tree. John O'Connor for Farm Talk. Continuing with her final contribution to the Oireachtas Committee on Agriculture, Food and the Marine on the CAP proposals, Macrina Ferrema was represented by National President John Keane. From where we are at, at this moment in time on CAP, um, over the last 25 or 30 years, we've seen many promises on generation renewal and promises for supports for young farmers. But I suppose now more than ever, uh, we as young farmers, we need policies that deliver real positive impact for our sector. With the number of farmers under the age of 35 at less than 5% now, fundamental change is needed in order to ensure that the long-term survival of our sector both flourishes and embraces the changes and practices changes that are needed. We have an opportunity in this cap um, to go beyond the promises that have been made in previous reforms to deliver targeted supports, which will actually make a positive impact both in terms of young farmers entering farming, but also on our commitments in terms of environment and change. And young farmers have always been at the forefront of of driving and embracing change, whether that be on, on practices on farms or embracing technologies. With the elevating of generation renewal to one of the nine key objectives under these CAP proposals, it is a clear signal from the Commission to member states that supports targeted at young farmers must be a key priority and merely maintaining the status quo 
will not be enough to deliver on what's required in order to improve and encourage generation renewal. I suppose first and foremost under the schemes introduced in 2014, Mockra welcomes the introduction of both the Young Farmer Top-Up and the National Reserve. Continuation of these is crucially important, but also continuation of a fully funded, fully committed National Reserve for the period of this cap must be at the forefront of the measures to encourage generation renewal. Mockran, along with our partners in Europe and CJA, is fundamentally supporting that 4% of direct payments from Pillar 1 must be ring-fenced for young farmers and for young farmers' access. We've seen 2% under the current um, cap, but it's felt that 4% and it must be ring-fenced for young farmers to ensure that they're supported and aided. And the interventions that fit under that 4% must end up in the hands and in the, in the, in to support the business of young farmers. We've heard muted at European level that tying in supports for organic schemes and others in line with young farmer schemes is a possibility, but that is something which as young farmers, not all young farmers are going to be able to access or not all young farmers will use. So that is an intervention and like other interventions that are not directly going to impact young farmers cannot be supported out of the 4% aligned for young farmers under Pillar 1 payments. We've also talk, spoken briefly about the commitment for non-backsliding on the contribution for young farmers, both on Pillar 1, but also on Pillar 2 payments. So of the supports under the current cap, uh, approximately around 6% is, is ring fence for young farmers between Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 payments. No backsliding from, from Ireland and from member states, and that commitment must be ensured at the negotiations upcoming. I suppose it was touched on briefly about the supports under TAMS. Um, and the maximum investment upper limit of 80% is being talked about, um, and that is something which must be also secured. We've seen how young farmers have responded under TAMS, given 186 million has been spent by young farmers and contributed under that scheme, and that must be continued over the course of the next cap. Democracies and looks for flexibility in terms of the five-year rule for the definition of young farmers. We've seen that many young farmers who take over the farming enterprise at 20, 21, 22, no longer meet the criteria for young farmers when they're 26, 27, 28. And I'm not sure whether you'd look at that and stand back and say that that's a reasonable or a, an appropriate place for us to be. But maximum flexibility must be outlined for the young farmers and for the five-year rule, both in terms of access to investments, but also in terms of access to national reserve and top-up payments. And I suppose also what ties into that is the commitment for the forgotten farmers from both 2008 and 2009 that fell through the cracks in terms of the last set of negotiations. And we welcome the commitments of Minister McConnell not to forget those under the current cap reform. And this is an ample opportunity that provision must be made for those under the current negotiations as well. Mokrin Ferrema National President John Keane with our final contribution to the Oireachtas Committee on Agriculture, Food and the Marine on the CAF proposals. Next, we're discussing contract calf rearing based on an extensive double-page feature in Tagus Kleins magazine June issue, Today's Farm. John O'Connor is with me. And John, could you remind listeners about the broad outline of contract calf rearing? In general, contract calf rearing involves the movement of male calves and any heifer calves 
that are not required to be kept as dairy replacements from the owner's farm to another farm for rearing under a contract agreement. The animals remain in the ownership of the dairy farmer and an agreed fee per head per day is paid to the contract rearer. And at what age is the calf entrusted to the contract rearer? These calves are reared from any age greater than 10 days, the point at which they are permitted to move farm legally until weaning. The weaning age itself or weight is agreed by both parties and it could be based on age, on weight, or when an adequate proportion of the diet is coming from concentrates and forage rather than a milk-based diet. And what happens next after the calves have reached the end of calf rearing stage and are weaned? There are four main options available. Firstly, return the calves to the dairy farm. Secondly, the contract rearer can agree to continue, but with a weanling rearing agreement this time. Thirdly, the contract rearer can purchase them for further future rearing themselves. Fourthly, the dairy farmer can sell on the calves to a third party. And I understand Tiagish has developed two new template agreements covering contract calf rearing. So could you outline details of the first Tiagis contract calf rearing template agreement? This uh, Chagas Templates Agreement outlines that the calves, once weaned, will remain on the contract rearer's holding for further rearing. The length of this additional period is agreed between the animal owner and the contract rearer in advance. During the rearing period, the animal owner pays an agreed fee per head per day and the animal owner retains ownership of the animals. Establishing a relationship based on trust and a good contract will benefit both the owner and the contract calf rearer. There are four key areas in a contract agreement which must be addressed according to the Chagas Template Agreement guidelines. I understand these four key stipulations are not unduly complex, but they do provide a good basis for avoiding any misunderstanding later. So would you list four headings under which trust and certainty can be copper-fastened between the owner and the contract calf rarer? Headline one, the outline of the template agreement. The animal owner and the contract rarer's details to be stated. Secondly, duration of the agreement to establish the start and the end date of the agreement. Thirdly, payment to agree payment rate per head per day and decide on the method of payment. Fourthly, to state on the agreement the terms and conditions and establish a management protocol for the animals for the duration of the agreement. And where can listeners get more information on Tiagas guideline template agreements and highlighting of advantages of contract calf rearing for dairy farmers and would-be rearers? Listeners can refer to the Chagas website or to their local Chagas advisor or alternatively in the June issue of the Chagas Clients magazine Today's Farm. There's a very comprehensive feature on contract rearing male calves written by Mr Gordon Peppard, Chagas Collaborative Farming Specialist. Gordon covers benefits for the dairy farmer, including increased milk production and profitability, improved cash flow and income, no investment in stock. Gordon Peppert of Chagas, in his feature in the Chagas magazine, Today's Farm, indicates how contract rearing can be a win-win situation for both parties involved, provided that a level of trust, honesty and flexibility would exist between both parties. Farm Talk on C103. 
In situations where silage pits are full, beyond limits, and grass still needs to be lifted, baled silage should be considered as an alternative. This is one of the recommendations in the Department of Agriculture's advice on safe silage storage. And the Association of Farm and Forestry Contractors of Ireland, together with the HSA, Health and Safety Authority, in a joint statement, recommend that silage pit height should never be more than twice the height of retaining walls and should slope at less than 45 degrees. The HSA-FCI joint statement points out and warns that this year grass of high moisture content is being ensiled and this material is prone to pit splitting, creating an additional risk when pits reach excessive heights. The increased volume of grass being cut in most cases this year results in higher pits, leading to potentially dangerous working heights, placing vehicle operators and others working on these pits at risk of serious injury. Detailed information on safe silage pit heights available on the websites of any of the following HSA, Health and Safety Authority, FCI, Farm and Forestry Contractors of Ireland and the Department of Agriculture, Food in the Marine and also in the June 12, 2021 issue of the Irish Farmers Journal, Machinery Supplement. John O'Connor for Farm Talk. Tagus, through its research advisory, education, training and media programme, is lending its support to Men's Mental Health Week. It always begins on the Monday before Father's Day and ends on Father's Day itself. While males constitute almost 50% of the population of Ireland, they experience a disproportionate burden of premature mortality, have poorer lifestyles that are responsible for a high proportion of chronic disease and present late to health services leading to many problems having poorer outcomes. Research among farmers in Ireland shows they experience five times higher cardiovascular, three times higher cancer and seven times higher mortality in the working age range than white collar workers. Tagus research shows disability arising from ill health or injury massively interferes with farmer lifestyle and can jeopardise the livelihood of farm families due to reduced capacity to farm efficiently, which consequently reduces income. Recent research indicates farmers give health issues less attention than aspects of safety implementation. Men's Health Week is therefore a great time to kickstart a personal health initiative. There's a wide range of information available from the HSE, while a farmer health booklet, Fit for Farming, is available on the web. Further information is also available by visiting tagusk.ie. Joining us now is Tagusk advisor Mark Tracy, and we're discussing silage, fertilising for the second cut, lime, slurry and chemical fertiliser applications in the first of two parts on the Farm Talk programme. The big thing with um, with silage is you're taking off a lot of nutrients actually off the field, like particularly when you think of a nutrient like potassium, about 90% of the potassium taken up by the animal in a grazing sward is recycled through the animal and goes back out on the field. When we take the silage off the field, we're stripping all the nutrients out, so it's important to, to put it back. So from that point of view, I'd be really encouraging farmers where they have slurry available to try and make use of it for the second cut. Typically, if you can get out maybe 2,500 gallons, maybe even a little less of, of reasonably good slurry, uh, that should suffice in terms of um, P and K requirements for the second cut crop, and it's only a case then of just uh, topping up with nitrogen. I suppose in terms of nitrogen levels, it's something that I think at times we probably do overcook, and really I don't see any need to be going over 80 units of nitrogen on a second cut crop. 
And to me, that's for a fairly young um, forward that has good potential. If you're dealing with kind of older um, forwards, I'd be even cutting that back maybe to 65 units. So really, I suppose, well, to, to sum it up, if you're going with a reasonable coating of slurry, I'd be using a product like um, protected urea with sulfur because it's important to get some sulfur on there as well. So you're you're looking at bringing the, the total up to about, about um, 80 units, which means you need about 60, 65 units of um, bag fertilizer going on there. If you don't have slurry available to you or if it's grown, that it's not practical to spread slurry on. In that case, um, just be conscious that there is a very big offtake of K. So really, you need to be trying to get, get on maybe in, in the order of 60 to 80 units of K and probably 10 to 12 units of P for the second cut. Um, just the other silage that would be taken at this time of year quite commonly would be strong paddocks being taken out for bales. And it's also important not to forget the, the P's and K's on those, on those paddocks as well. Like typically, a bale will take out about uh, a unit and a half of phosphorus and about 10 units of K. So ideally, slurry would go back to those paddocks again, and you're looking at maybe 1,000 gallons the acre of decent slurry for every three to four bales that, that come off it. If it's thin slurry, maybe closer to 2,000 gallons per acre. And I suppose the other nutrient for second cut and for the farm in general would be lime. It's a great opportunity to spread lime after the silage is cut. Um, we know it has a very, very good economic response in, in the order of seven to one. And an awful lot of farms in West Cork are operating derogation, so they have a requirement to spread lime um, where the soil samples uh, show it's needed. So it's a good opportunity to get lime out on the farm. Now, you mentioned lime there, slurry and chemical fertilisers. So would it make any difference in what order that these were applied? Yes, yeah, so I suppose from a nitrogen utilisation point of view, it is quite important Um if we apply um, slurry and lime very close together, there is a risk that we can lose some of the, the nitrogen to the atmosphere. Um, like that's not good for the farmer's pocket, and it's not good for the for the the associated emissions. So what I'd be saying is try and get the slurry out first, um, the chemical fertilizer next, and then the lime after that. And ideally, you'd want to be leaving a minimum of three to four days between each application. Um, the other common question that would come up there would be, is it safe to use um, protected urea products if you're applying lime? And the research would, would suggest that there, there isn't really any issue using protected um, urea products in that, in that space, that it, it acts pretty much the same as can and that it's safe enough to do it. And if a farmer just intended grazing the field for the remainder of the year, then what fertiliser rates would be appropriate? Just for general grazing ground that hasn't been cut, an awful lot of farmers now have kind of come back to this whole idea of spreading a unit of nitrogen per day. So if they're on a 20-day rotation, they'll spread 20 units, and depending on, on if the rotation is faster, they'll cut back the spinner a small bit or, or vice versa. For silage ground, uh, you've just stripped off an awful lot of, of nutrients off it. The crop has, has pulled a lot of nitrogen out of the ground, so I would be inclined to give that a tiny bit more. So probably typically somewhere up to 27 units per acre of nitrogen um, after the, the silage crop. I'd be slow enough to be going with um, slurry if it's intended for grazing, 
um, unless it's it's quite watery, um, just because you may have um, palatability issues with the grass in in that case. The other thing, just with with the grazing ground, is now is a, a great time to let clover do its work, and where there is a decent amount of clover on the in the swards, it would be um, advisable to cut the nitrogen rate. Um, typically, fellas seem to be going back to about half rate nitrogen. So if you're on 20-day rotation, going with maybe 10 units of, of nitrogen, it gives the clover plant that little bit of a, a chance to actually get better established in the sward, but it also means that uh, the clover starts fixing more nitrogen, so you're getting free nitrogen in the system. Mark Tracy, Tagusk Advisor, and we'll have the second part on this topic on Wednesday's programme. Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association Beef National Chairman, Mr. Edmund Graham, has insisted that each farmer who has received a Beam Scheme Associated Herd Letter must be individually assessed and treated fairly by the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine. Mr Graham said it's unfair to throw what he called a curveball in at the 11th hour, making it virtually impossible for farmers to rectify the stocking rates with less than a month to go. 1,000 farmers, he says, have got debtors, and it's likely that almost half of them are potentially facing a beam penalty. Some of these farmers, who thought they were on target to meet the requirements of the scheme, have now been left in what he called an impossible situation. The ICSA National Beef Chairman, Mr Edmund Graham, goes on to point out that, according to the Department of Agriculture, where a beam farmer has, during the period concerned, had one or more associated herd numbers linked to their beam application herd numbers on the Department's Corporate Customer System, CSS, these herd numbers are deemed to be part of the participants' holding As such, he says, they must be included in the nitrates figures for the holding and show a combined reduction of 5%. And he poses the question, if this has been the case, why then have nitrates figures not been supplied all along for associated herds? He says at least then farmers would have been in possession of all of the relevant information and been able to act accordingly. Mr Graham said the BEAM scheme has proved difficult for many to navigate. He claimed the lack of timely and accurate figures throughout the scheme had been very problematic. However, he said, in order to assess this badly needed compensation, farmers have done their utmost to see the scheme through, and curveballs, as he called it, like this on the home stretch, are inexcusable. Edmund Graham is now urging the Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Charlie McConnell, TD, and his department officials to please look carefully at each case before they deny payment to any farmer. John O'Connor for Farm Talk. Farm Talk on C103. The interim report of the Seafood Sector Task Force has been handed to the Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Charlie McConlog, TD. Minister McConlog set up the Seafood Sector Task Force to examine implications for the Irish fishing industry and coastal communities, particularly those dependent on fishing, arising from the Brexit Trade and Cooperation Agreement between the European Union and the UK. The task force, chaired by Mr Aidan Cotter, was charged with recommending initiatives which could be taken to provide supports for development and restructuring so as to ensure a profitable and sustainable fishing fleet and also to identify opportunities for jobs and economic activity in coastal communities dependent on fishing. Minister McConnell had requested that an interim report would focus on arrangements for a temporary voluntary fleet cessation scheme to counter the impact of the reduction in fishing quotas. 
This will be followed by a full report of the seafood task sector later. The task force was also asked to review the options and recommend actions which would be pursued to assist in reducing the burden on Ireland from the transfers of fishing quota shares to the UK. The Interim Task Force report recommends that a voluntary temporary cessation scheme of one month's duration be offered to about 220 whitefish vessels impacted by the quota restrictions and reductions in the period from September to December. The Minister thanks the members of the Seafood Sector Task Force for their constructive engagement under the guidance of the steering group, who were Mr Aidan Cotter, Ms Margaret Daly and Mr Michal Okinede. The Interim Seafood Task Force report may be found on the Bordish Guevara website. That's B-I-M, capitals, B-I-M, hyphen, seafood, capital S, one word, sector, capital S, one word, Task Force, capital T. John O'Connor for Farm Talk. Embrace Farm, the Farm Accident Support Network, is hosting a hashtag Here For You campaign to acknowledge the support network for those left bereaved or who have survived farm accidents. Following the success of the organisation's first ever online remembrance service last year, Embrace Farm will host its eighth annual remembrance service for those affected by farm accidents on Sunday, June 27th at 2pm. The event will be live streamed on embracefarm.com. Toonsbridge Dairy in McCroom, County Cork, features in a new NDC advertising campaign to support the food service category across Ireland, having suffered considerably during the COVID-19 crisis. Cathy Curran, Communications Manager with the National Dairy Council, joins me on Farm Talk to discuss the campaign and the Toonsbridge connection. Yeah, we're very lucky, Barry, to receive um, some uh, EU funding for a number of campaigns that we run um, across across our, our marketing programme. So, at the moment, we're running four e-funder campaigns, which is fantastic uh, to promote milk. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. To promote cheese, uh, sustainability and environmental aspects in relation to farming, which is a big one at the moment. And then the most recent one is the EU um, food service campaign. So it's a campaign designed specifically to support the food service category, which suffered um, considerably during the pandemic. So everything from cafes to canteens to sort of garages to cafes um, and food, independent food producing companies. And we are running a campaign that is two-pronged in approach. It is an advertising campaign, which is running through the summer months. And then there'll be a training uh, program, which will run with one of, top, one of Ireland's top retailers, where we're going to work to train the staff on dairy and nutrition. Uh, for their customers. So that's kind of the, two, the two-pronged approach. But the effects of the pandemic on the food service sector, Cathy, was it severe and is it recovering? It's recovering slowly, Barry. I'm no expert. I can't speak certainly to the sector. <laughs> Myself, we're, we're a dairy marketing agency, but I know from what be a research conservatively, I think it was sort of suggested was 50% contracted during last year. And that's across the board. That's not just restaurants. That's sort of everything, as I mentioned. Canteens, cafes. But in saying that, I think, and, and from meeting the cafe owners um, across the last number of months, interestingly, they did quite well with the takeout, the takeout option. So a lot of the very successful, busy, high-profile businesses that had a name for their product still did quite well. So I think it'll come back slowly. I think people got used to sort of they, you know, they pivoted and got used to seeing how their business could, could I suppose, change, you know, and how it could adapt. To, to, to make their business work. And they did that very, very successfully, a number of them. So it's a mixed bag, I think, but I, I would really admire the industry for being incredibly uh, resourceful and incredibly clever about adjusting their business to fit the challenge that, that we face. NDC research that you did then during the pandemic, mm-hmm. you weren't just sitting idly by, and it threw <laughs> up some very interesting findings, Cathy, particularly in the area of dairy consumption. Yeah, no, it did, and we were really lucky, Barry. So I think, you know, what happened, we've seen this before in crisis, when crisis happened with very severe weather conditions in Ireland, etc. There was a time with the snow that I think, you know, the, the, the shelves were cleared of milk and sliced bread. So people kind of go back to basics in a crisis. And I think what we saw from some of our initial research Last year, there was an increase in dairy consumption in Ireland by up to 48% during the pandemic, which is which is really super story to be able to tell. And interestingly, there was a, a quite marked increase in under 35, which which is really good for us to hear because they will be the cohort that have avoided or limited dairy in the past due to a number of reasons. So they'd be using the plant-based alternative milks. But we saw during the pandemic that I think just because people were hunkered down and went back to basics, they went back to eating the comfort foods that they were used to. Um, and so with that, dairy had a very strong position within that. So we were really, really pleased to see that the increase actually um, in, in consumption of dairy across the board. Now, the core connection is, of course, Toons Bridge Dairy yes. McCroom, which indeed yes. we're very proud of here and we have featured on the Farm Talk programme in the past. So what's the Toons Bridge Dairy connection now with the NDC campaign? So we would have had a relationship, I would know Jenny Rose and Toby from previous, and we'd be very conscious of, of Cork as being probably, in fact, it is the, has the most dairy farms per capita in, in the country. So it's the biggest dairy producing county in Ireland, yeah, Cork, and always has been and continues to be. And so when we've run awards like the NDC and Kerrygold Quality Milk Awards, we always invariably have about two or three 
sometimes four finalists from the Cork region. Um, so it's, it's a massively big dairy farming, um, and it's a huge county. Um, so it, it delivers really, really good uh, farmers um, from that area. And then Toonsbridge, we picked for a number of reasons. We had a relationship with them. They've got a really interesting story with not only a cow's herd, but also buffaloes. So they, they do farm buffaloes down in McCroom, and they produce a number of products from that, including a McCroom um, a buffalo mozzarella. But we also chose them, Barry, because they make a number of European-style cheeses, and it's a EU-funded campaign. So we felt that having, you know, an offering of ricotta and schmorza and mozzarella within, in, in collaboration with kind of the cheddars and the more historically and um, traditional types that we enjoy in Ireland would make a really good story. And we felt that they had a really nice um, offering there. And also, obviously, they, they have wood-fired pizzas. They have a pizza oven that runs, I think, weekends. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's Thursday to Sunday. They have pizzas, which during the pandemic you could take away. Um, but I know during the summer months they have a lovely outdoor garden where you'd be able to go along and, and, and enjoy their pizzas outside. Um, and they also have a beautiful food shop um, within the dairy that you can you can go and, and, and buy some nice bits um, as well when you're there. So so really nice story. Cathy Curran, Communications Manager with the National Dairy Council. Four out of five food and beverage businesses are optimistic for the next three years, according to Board Beer. Food and beverage exports were down just 2% in 2020, despite the challenges of Brexit and the pandemic. Bourbier Chief Executive Tara McCarthy says there are still some challenges posed by Brexit, such as higher costs. 90% of industry has experienced higher costs and a third of them would say that they've experienced significant higher costs. 80% of them would say that their margins have been decreased as a result of the new trading relationship as well. So the pressures are there and the scale of those pressures are there. But I'd, I'd argue, I guess, that they're finding opportunity in the diversification agenda as well. Carberry Group has committed to supporting a postgraduate student scholarship at UCC over the next five years. The donation from the company will fund the Carberry Group scholarship for one postgraduate student annually on the MSc in Cooperatives, Agri-Food and Sustainable Development at Cork University Business School, UCC. The scholarship opportunity will also include a valuable work placement with Carberry Group. Information and the application process for the scholarship is available at ucc.ie. The impact of United States tariff sanctions on Irish and EU agri-foods are expected to ease following a five-year suspension just announced of tariffs in this long-running EU-US aircraft dispute. The announcement came from the European Commission and the Office of the United States Trade Representative. Economic sanctions imposed by both the European Union and United States, which are currently suspended till 11th of July 21, will be suspended for a further five years under the announcement just made on 15th of June. The Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Charlie McCullough TD, pointed out that lifting of the tariff burden in this civil aircraft dispute would equate to about €95 million Euro of impact on Irish agri-foods out of a total of €380 million Euro exports to the USA in 2020. This should help our agri-food exports to America as both nations emerged from the COVID pandemic. The Minister of State with responsibility for a new market development, Martin Hayden TD, also warmly welcomed the mutual suspension of European Union, United States of America economic sanctions for a period of five years. John O'Connor for Farm Talk. And thanks to John for co-producing and contributing to the Farm Talk programme this week. I'm Barry O'Mahony. Thank you for listening.
Farm Talk with Dairy Gold Calf Milk Replacer, offering a wide range of calf milk replacers to suit your calf's needs. On C103. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.